Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. The nominations for Outstanding Performance by an Actress in a Leading Role are Ingrid Bergman in Autumn Sonata, Ellen Burstyn in Same Time Next Year, Jill Clayburgh in An Unmarried Woman, Jane Fonda in Coming Home, Geraldine Page in Interiors. Hello and welcome to another episode of Best Actress. Today we will be discussing the Oscar ceremony year of 1979 for Best Lead Actress for Jane Fonda. This was her second Oscar win, uh, which was kind of a big deal because at this point she was known as a traitor to her own country by some, or perhaps (laughs) just a huge idiot, however you want to perceive it, aka Hanoi Jane. Bad selfie stick opportunity in Vietnam as far as I'm concerned, not a good idea. Uh, for those of you that are not familiar, during the Vietnam War, who she rallied against the war, like anti-war protests and stuff like that during the late 60s and the early 70s, she was in Vietnam and she sat in a uh, like a like a gun turret that shot down like American planes and she sat in the photo and she was laughing and they took a photo of her doing that and obviously that ruined her career up until that point. Uh, but she already had an Oscar in the bank at that point, so she's like, whatever, I'm rich. Um, but then after that, her career kind of just disappeared for like four or five years, like nothing major. And then she totally came back as like this relatable Jane Fonda, everyday woman balancing her career and kids. And she won a second Oscar for Coming Home, which was a story that wasn't necessarily about Vietnam, but just sort of the aftermath of Vietnam and the people that returned. So it was a little on brand for her, or it was on brand for her. And uh, today we are joined by our guest host, Dan Dillabo, uh, writer on uh, my beloved series, Shit's Creek. And if you would like to follow him on Instagram, you can do so at ddillabo. Hello, Dan. Thank Hi. You. Thank you for having me. Uh, for coming back again. This is my third... <laughs> third time right? okay stop bragging stop bragging um <laughs> when i get to five you should give me like a special jacket like they do on snl <laughs> feel like a punch card you know every time yeah, yeah, i yeah. get little stamps okay <laughs> i get a free muffin i have seen that episode who was hosting was it justin timberlake that was hosting that episode they've done a few of them um yeah justin timberlake is one of the five timers steve martin steve martin alec baldwin i think has hosted the most uh and they had a bit where like uh, when when Baldwin was was accepting his, Steve Martin came on and did like a like a drug test to like make sure that he was <laughs> he was hosting under like under make, making sure his his five timer club was legit. Um, yeah, it's a very there's like a whole Wikipedia article about all the five timers people. I feel like there. Who was the woman that was? It was was it? Who was it? Oh my god, uh, was it M- Melissa McCarthy? Like she already got it. Yeah, she's she's in there. Uh, Drew Barrymore, I believe. You're kidding. Uh, yeah, J- John Goodman has hosted a bunch. Tom Hanks is like one of the. Oh sure. I wonder like, if Meryl Streep ever hosted Saturday Night Live. Great question. I would love to see that, but I don't think. That's... I don't. I can't imagine her like putting on a wig and like doing. That. <laughs> it's, I can't picture that either. In like a comedic way. Yeah. 
I don't know. Well, she can. She's a. She's a chameleon. I don't know. Um, so, so this year, uh, another late seventies. Ooh, we have the return of Ingrid Bergman, mm-hmm. and this was like her last, um, like feature this film that she movie. ever did. Yeah. yeah, and this was with, uh, this is Autumn Sonata with Ig. Ingmar Bergman. Ingmar Bergman. Were they married? No, they were not related. They and they, this is the only time they ever worked together. But Ingmar Bergman was like okay. beloved Swedish auteur director. Yeah. And and Ingrid Bergman was also Swedish, also beloved. Yeah. But for some reason, their paths never crossed. But they always wanted to work together, and this was uh, they got a chance to do it, and then. Yeah, so it's her last film, and I think one of his final films, too. Well, what's interesting is the movie In Tears with Geraldine Page that was written by Woody Allen. That was his first time attempting a dramatic type of movie. Yeah. And they that the way that everybody was calling it was Woody Allen doing an impression of an Ingmar Bergman mm-hmm. screenplay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I he thought was, that was kind of interesting. He was like, you could see in a lot of his films, like he was super influenced by... Bergman, as was like every you know director and coming up in in the sixties and seventies, yeah, it was like a really big deal. And this was like the most Ingmar Bergman out <laughs> of all of his films. This was an interesting year for me. One thing that you know, it seems to be just a lot of stories about like wives mm-hmm. and or divorcees or mothers that like left their husbands. It just really seems to be centered around like relationships and marriage. Um, yeah, in, women like, who are like sort of defined by their, their marriage kind of right. learning to define themselves on their own terms. It, like, like every one of these. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which um, is when I do this podcast, most of the episodes that really is like a recurring theme, like roles for women in movies. Mm-hmm. Um, where, you know, John Voight is playing like a, he's, I guess a paraplegic or he's yeah, yeah, yeah. disabled or I don't know what the appropriate term that you would call him that, but he's unable to walk. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, what's interesting about Coming Home actually, uh, which love that movie, by the way, never seen it um, until now. <laughs> I'm just going to wing this podcast. <laughs> um, but one thing that I loved about it was uh, 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 that he... Um, I hate John Voight. Like, I literally can't stand him because I'm like, oh, you abandoned Angelina Jolie. Angel- if anybody listening, Angelina Jolie's dad is John Voight. And when he, like, won this Oscar, I was like, fucking hate you, John Voight. <laughs> Even in Tomb Raider, I'm like, blech. But, like, in this movie, like, I gotta really give it up for John Voight, seriously. Like, it was, it, like, he was, and I, I'm so ashamed to admit this, but like, he was very attractive in this movie. Like, he was yeah. very desirable in this movie. He's really great. He, and he won a Best Actor this year, I believe. Uh, and yeah, so him and, and Jay Fonda. Both. Oh, I thought you meant. Oh, sorry, <laughs> like 2020. I was like, what? No, I was no, like, no. what? He did win. Yes, he did win um, yeah. for Best Actor. But this was one of the first movies ever where there was a uh, a fully able-bodied person in a love relationship with somebody that was like in a wheelchair or like couldn't walk. This was like the first time that ever happened right, right, right. in a movie. So that's. Progress. <laughs> it's so weird, what like knowing what we know now about John Voight, about him being like just you know it's kind of a like Hollywood Republican and being like yeah. you know very pro Trump and all that. It's like oh Blech. I want I want to hate him, but like watching watching this and like Midnight Cowboy and Deliverance and like yeah. so many solid performances. In the I 60s forgot and 70s. he was in Midnight Cowboy. Yeah, yeah it's an I amazing love that movie. movie. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, well, anyway, let's just jump right into it. So the first movie that I want to talk about is Interiors with Geraldine Page. So a lot of people always go on about how Leonardo DiCaprio, like, never won an Oscar, like, before The the Revenant. Mm -hmm. And they were like, oh, my God, like, you know... Um, like, why hasn't Leo won? He's been in so many good movies. And at that point, he had been nominated for five or six Oscars. Geraldine Page didn't win her Oscar until, like, her seventh or her eighth in, like, the late 80s. Oh, wow. Like, before she died. And She's it's, like the 70s Amy Adams. She was, it, like, the perpetual bridesmaid. That's right. A hundred percent. And it's very frustrating because Geraldine Page, like... Um, this was actually the first movie that I've ever seen with Geraldine Page, which I'm actually mm-hmm. um, sad to say, but I'm excited to watch her other movies because she clearly is a very talented uh, actor. Yeah, me too, I think. I don't think I'd ever seen her or anything. But um, yeah, very solid. I, uh, I Yeah, very, very enjoyable performance in a, a movie that I feel like both of us were a little ambivalent about the movie as a whole, but... Can you describe the movie? What was the movie about? Yeah, it is a... So this is a Woody Allen... This is his first drama, and it is basically... She is a interior decorator. She's the matriarch uh, of his family. She has three uh, adult daughters who are kind of in dysfunctional uh, relationships, and, uh, and her husband uh, uh, is this kind of finance guy, and he says that he's leaving her for this other woman and she's devastated. It kind of charts like the, the falling apart of their uh, relationship and their, their family and, uh, and her, her ex-husband, you know, brings this other woman mm-hmm. into the, into the family dynamic that kind of complicates things. And it's, uh, it's oh, very, she was very good too. She's wonderful. Maureen Stapleton. Yeah, she got nominated it. for the uh, best supporting actress. She for that was role. the real bright spot here. Both. Yeah. Both of them were. I will say that, um, Diane Keaton, Take your brown teeth off of my movie screen. Um, <laughs> number one, I, I don't know why I'm not. I really I'm not a fan of Diane Keaton. I saw her just in general. Just or in general, I don't know why. Wow. I will watch all of her movies and consider them, but like I just there's something about her that bugs me. And not like even Annie Hall, I've actually never seen. Oh, Annie that'll Hall. turn you around on Diane Keaton. For because sure. okay, I was in L.A. with Daniel, um, and uh, for anybody listening, Daniel is my boyfriend. He's my little Irish potato. Um, <laughs> ooh, by the way, watch that show, Normal Heart, if you want to see a disgusting romance that's just so addictive. But like, mm, oh, anyway, just check out. It's really good. Oh, the the Normal People. Normal People. That yeah, was it. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I said Normal Heart. That's a different show. But Normal People. Check it out. Anyway, we were in a Starbucks in L.A., and um, Diane Keaton walked in. And everybody was, like, taking photos with her. And I was like, no. I just was like, (laughs) hi, can I just get a... And then, like, I... Not impressed. Yeah, you know, I just didn't... And she was literally dressed like her character from Annie Hall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is she called Annie Hall in that movie? Yes, yeah. Oh, okay, so she's dressed like Annie Hall. It's such an iconic Uh, look. Great actress, though. Yeah, of course you would dress like that for the rest of your life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so the very first scene of Interiors was very interesting because I didn't know what the movie was about. I don't like to watch trailers. And I thought... it was about this insane interior designer that like, cause that was her son-in-law, but I mm-hmm. thought it was like her boyfriend or something. And they're arguing over finances. And I was like, w-. and she's this crazy woman that designs people's houses, but she, she thinks she's being paid for it. And I was like, what is this movie? Like yeah. this woman is insane. It really throws you into the deep end. And it really the, does. The interior design is not really a big part of it necessarily no it's more of no just not like, at all it's a it's an interesting metaphor for like 
her being very sort of finicky over these very specific like superficial aesthetic mm-hmm. things because you know her life is kind of spiraling out of her control and so she's very fixated on and the she's lamp. a controlling person yeah the lamp is in the wrong place right um what i really loved about her performance was like holy shit like it was so real like when her husband says like in front of the whole family except for i think my, minus diane keaton i don't know if she was in that scene that he's leaving her mm-hmm. and he's going to move on with his life and whatever. And the way that she handles it in sort of like a, she doesn't want to talk about it, but then she like snaps in like other kind of ways. And like, she's crying, but you can see that she's like holding it back. I don't even know how you would do something like that as an yeah, actor. Yeah, yeah. Like it's just so crazy to me that she was able to do, it, it was so real. And mm-hmm. so like, Oh my God, what is she going to do? Yeah. That was definitely uh, the thing that, made me realize like, this is a very sort of Ingmar Bergman-esque movie and that, like, that's like a big thing of in his work is just kind of like very emotionally withdrawn women who sort of like you know are having trouble like very emotionally distant characters who like you know it's punctuated by just incredible like insane emotional breakdowns right and that's like her character is very like sort of simmering for most of it and then you know like the scene in the church where she just kind of has a freak out yeah oh and yeah then, you know the destroys scene, all the glass destroys all the glass uh, my OCD kicked in and I literally was like oh my god who's gonna clean that up I'm like <laughs> how many fucking oh, we gotta get a mop we gotta get a bucket I was so stressed yeah, out yeah, about yeah. that um, what did you think though oh did you know that um, Ingrid Bergman was actually offered this role but she couldn't do it because she was busy making the exact same movie exactly <laughs> exactly which is I think like really 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 crazy um, I do want to point out though that Diane Keaton's boyfriend in the movie woof acting he literally was like I am mad no I am sad no I am a dumb writer. I am yeah. a, like, he was so bad. Like in this movie, I mean, I don't know any of his other work, but like woof. And then he like tries to like rape that sister and then they just move on from it. Like it yeah. never happened. I was like, could we just revisit the rape? Like just for a scotch, just really quick. Cause that was fucked, right? It's, like, yeah, pretty intense. I, yeah. And it kind of, uh, there's a lot happening in this movie that kind of, it just kind of touches the surface of a lot of themes. It doesn't really dig into it. If this feels weird to say about a movie that I didn't like that much, but I almost wish it was longer hmm. in a way. Like I, I so feel you didn't like really care for the movie. I didn't care for it. I felt it was it was uh, very sort of superficial, and it didn't dig into the sort of family dynamics as as much as it could have. I feel like the the most interesting thing was the the husband's uh, new girlfriend showing up, and I feel like that happened. You know in the last half hour of the movie. I yeah. Felt like that's when it kind of really started to kick in. Uh, up to that point, it was just kind of a lot of like simmering melodrama with not a lot of payoff. Uh, but I feel like if it had been longer, if there had been more, like it, like for a big family ensemble story, like mm-hmm. you want to give everyone their time in the sun. And like you sort said, of like the li- family stone. Do you ever see that movie? Oh, I, I think that's with Diane it. Keaton too, actually. Oh, I haven't seen it. Oh really? Like with Rachel McAdams, and then no, there's like no, the no. the they have they have like uh, Rachel McAdams' brother, who's Diane Keaton's son, um, is like Mexicalicious and like gay and deaf. Okay. And like whatever, like I don't. It doesn't even matter that he's clearly not their child. But I mean, like it's a very like makes me cry all the time. But it's kind of like that where mm. it's like everybody gets their own little story and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah but yeah. with interiors. I feel like I was thrown off by like the idea of a Woody Allen 
movie that is not funny because he's so like <laughs> used to his tone. He has a very specific tone. And this is a very Woody Allen setup, like neurotic mm-hmm. white, like upper, upper class intellectuals who are right. like, complaining that their art isn't appreciated yeah. and stuff. And it's like, I wanted to hear that kind of quippy, like witty dialogue, but everyone was just very like sort of pensive and, and dramatic. And I was like, why is this, <laughs> why is this a drama? Like just, just make it, Funny. It's it's a drama because in the end she returns to the sea yeah, and she's exactly. just like Bam. up until that point I was like oh I now I understand why this is a dramatic film and uh, mental health was a completely different conversation back then because yeah. they keep referring to her Ger- uh, Geraldine Page's character in the movie as a sick woman yes they're like your mother's a sick woman and when I hear in 2020 a sick woman I think pedophile yeah 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 and I'm like and they kept saying she's a sick woman and I'm like oh is it about to get like really dateline right now like are we about to see chris hansen like yeah. what's happening no, and then, so if you had a mental illness of any kind like you were put, sick put, they put you in the attic they put, <laughs> the, like kevin from home alone <laughs> you oh. should say what we're talking about also so at the at the end of the movie uh she commits suicide in a very dramatic way <laughs> she by, returns to the sea by walking into the ocean <laughs> Uh, I shouldn't be laughing, but it was pretty ridiculous. It's I mean, they kind of like they seed earlier that that she is suicidal. Um, well, she tries to commit suicide uh, at yes. least once in yeah, the movie yeah, yeah. before she does it again. It felt like a very um, like European choice to to end the movie. Weirdly, like I feel like the idea of someone I, I feel like I've seen this in in like you know Polish movies or something where like or you don't Irish expect, movies. yeah where like it, everything's kind of ending in a normal way and then the characters suddenly commit suicide and you're like what and then in a second thought you're like oh well you know the the world is a terrible place yeah. so maybe that makes sense well um, I shouldn't be clear about this obviously if you're having suicidal thoughts yeah right <laughs> we'll we'll have Please a number twelve reach out to someone um, but. Um, well, two things. Number one, I love the way that Geraldine Page was really playing just a weak, sad person. She yes. didn't have this like triumphant moment. She didn't have this kind of like, I'm going to turn it around, go full Elle Woods and Legally Blonde and just get my life back together. Mm. She literally was destroyed by this. And this is really just a demonstration of people that do suffer from mental illness. And this is often the case and the like ending for a lot of people, which is really sad. But I think it's really important to sort of see characters like this because it is a reality. And frankly, I thought it was kind of refreshing that she was just this sad sack of a character that was mm-hmm. going through something horrible and she didn't know how to handle it. And I loved the way that she played it. Totally. It feels real and it feels very non-Hollywood, which exactly yeah, refreshing, certainly. And uh, not to her performance, but just in general, these are all of these 70s movies, the trend was that the boys also had long hair as girls and during mm-hmm. love scenes, bitch, I could not tell who the boy or the girl was. I was like, yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. very, um, very progressive non-binary couple and I'm like I don't know what's going on right now but uh, mm, counterculture so yeah <laughs> was just growing their hair. I hope we bring that back progress uh, well is there anything else that you would like to add about this movie or Geraldine Page's performance um, yeah I, I read on her Wikipedia page which I thought was very interesting that so you talked about uh, Jane Fonda being kind of blacklisted by Hollywood uh, weirdly a similar thing happened to Geraldine Page uh, because she was associated with Uta Hagen for many years, uh, who was an actress and, and uh, an acting teacher as well. And Uta Hagen, I guess, was a communist sympathizer. And so she was blacklisted. And then somehow people in her inner circle were also blacklisted just by knowing her. 
Uh, and yeah, so Geraldine Page had a period of like seven or eight years where she was not in any movies. Wow. Until the the sort of red scare died down a little bit. And so she was in like theater and, and TV stuff, but um, this, so this was kind of her, her return. Resurrection. To, yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. Such a weird era of history. Yeah. Well, I know that if you watch the movie Clue, like the old one with like Madeline Kahn mm-hmm. and... Um, uh, Oh my god, I'm totally forgetting his name. Tim, like Rock the Rocky Picture Show. Guy? Yeah, Tim. Uh... <laughs> Why not remembering this? <laughs> and from, uh, from, blah, uh, Home Alone Two. Oh my god, how am I? Okay, I'm gonna get this in one second. I'm so Tim I'm... Curry. Tim Curry. There you go. I, I'm I'm I returning my gay card. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, oh, that's embarrassing. Um, but in the whole movie, it's because it's taking place in the 50s, they talk about communism throughout like the entire movie, and they keep saying that communism is a red herring. And like A red herring? That's good. Yeah, and when I was a kid, I didn't get it. I was like, why do I keep talking about that? What the fuck is that? <laughs> but a lot of people were blacklisted, like Trumbo, yeah, yeah. the screenplay writer, who actually won an Oscar, but they like had to pretend that it wasn't him. And Yeah, for Roman Holiday. Did you see that Brian Cranston movie where he's like at I home did. Yeah, I watching, the Osc- watching himself win an Oscar, and like yeah. they just give it to some guy? <laughs> Um, um, oh, also one other thing um, I noticed in the credits of this movie is that the costume designer was Joel Schumacher. Oh, who went on to direct uh, the George Clooney Batman movies, but he was a costume designer before he, he transitioned into directing. That's interesting. Mm. Um, I love all those movies; they're so bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Well, we were literally just talking about Ingrid Bergman and Autumn Sonata, so let's just talk about that. Yes. I didn't know that she was Swedish. I knew she had an accent, so I just assumed it was like German or like maybe she's from the Netherlands or something. Who actually? I think Audrey Hepburn is from the Netherlands. Oh, yeah, did you know that right. Audrey Hepburn speaks like five languages? I buy it. I, I only recently found out that she was not related to Catherine Hepburn. I just kind of assumed oh. <laughs> that they were like sisters based on no information, but uh, oh, well, also not related. Um, uh, uh, what's his face? Um, Michael Keaton mm-hmm. named himself that as a celebrity because he, at the time, Diane Keaton was so famous, and he was like, Oh well, if she can be famous with that last name, then so can I. So he just named himself Michael Keaton. That's so funny. It's so <laughs> random. Um, but anyway, yeah, Ingrid Bergman. Uh, so this was in the Swedish language, but it was filmed in Norway, and because he was on like a, a tax, like that's right, exile. This and was like so a rich was she thing, or something? Like there was some kind of a tax thing that they were trying to avoid. This is my favorite like European rich guy thing that like if you you just have to go to another country for a year for tax reasons. Yeah. I don't. I will never understand it, but it. I find it very enjoyable. Um, this was why. So when you told me that you wanted to do this year, I was. This is one of the reasons I was very excited because I've been oh. watching a bunch of these Ingmar Bergman movies in quarantine. Okay. And this is one I hadn't seen yet. Okay. Uh, but they're very. They're they're all like very tailor made for lockdown because they're all about just like people trapped in houses with each other, just slowly <laughs> driving each other insane. Uh, um, and this one's no exception. Well, for anybody that doesn't know what Autumn Sonata is about, it's the story of a horrible, horrible mother who is insanely talented at playing the piano. She is a concert pianist who essentially just kind of like abandon her entire family to pursue her dreams um, like back in the 30s. What's kind of weird about this movie, though, is it does kind of maybe this is my interpretation, paint 
career-driven women as like, blech. Yeah, but, like, yeah. if a guy and a father did that, they'd be like, well, that's his career. He has to provide for his family. Yeah, exactly. Which I thought was kind of bullshit. Um, but at the same time, she was also, like, not a very nice mother as well. Yeah, it's kind of implied that, that she was kind of emotionally withholding and yes. withdrawn. There are... Yeah, so the the first half of this movie, it's it's very... This relationship is presented in a very, like, funny, like, Scandinavian way where like even though they hate each other they're very pleasant and kind yeah. to each other for the first half of the movie and which was weird they're saying oh I love you so much and then eventually the daughter uh, Liv Ullman's character kind of like I would see her realize in, in real time that she's been traumatized by her mother and she's yeah. like you know what I do hate you <laughs> And then, but her, her rationale is just kind of like Oh, like you—you you bought me dresses, but you didn't check to see if I would like them before you bought them. And like you—you you bought me these books, and maybe read them, and then and then we would talk about them. But I didn't understand. And this is what—it's very like I don't know. Your life sounds pretty good. Yeah. I feel like <laughs> I don't feel like these are, are valid critiques of, of her parenting so much. That's true. I mean, I feel like with. First of all, also okay. Another thing about seventies movies is that everything was like brown and yellow. Everything just was not. I hate the color palette of every seventies cinematography. Very autumnal color palette, yeah, which I, just shares with interiors. I think Everything's I can't very stand burnished it. and like red and brown. It's it's just it, I anyway. I can't stand the color palette. Everything looks like it's like you know like when. <laughs> When, like, somebody's been smoking in a room for years, then all the walls get stained, and then mm. there's just... It's, like, basically the 70s was just a giant smoker's tooth, is what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, what I will say to Ingrid Bergman's performance is that, like... Uh, okay, I felt very conflicted about this movie, and I felt very conflicted about her being nominated for Best Actress, because, frankly, I actually kind of thought that Liv Ullman should have been nominated, or for, like, a supporting role, at least, because her mm-hmm. performance was crazy good. Yeah. And Ingrid Bergman, for her, one thing that I will kind of praise her for is that this, at the time, would have been considered a very modern performance, compared to you know, her people that she came up with in, like, the 40s and in the 50s and, like, those kinds of, like, your biceps are huge, kiss me, where this felt very real. And it was a little Hjorgen Fruit and Toodles for me, but... (laughs) Could you explain that? (laughs) Hjorgen Fruit and Toodles. I think that's just what the language sounds like. (laughs) It's a movie where um, it's, like, so... How do I describe Hjorgen Fruit and Toodles? It's, like... When a movie it's is like, like Swedish Chef, yeah, like it just kind of is like bordering on like a little campy, yeah, yeah for yeah. me. Where it's like she always had her hair like in like a Swedish bun at all times, and like, oh, oh, and let's not forget about the daughter dying of ALS in the attic that they're just like trying to avoid and pretend like she do- she's not there. Yeah, that to me is is like the most damning indictment of this, of this yeah. mother that she has. Another daughter who also is in this house, who refu- who she refuses to she see or look at or speak because she feels so ashamed to have had a daughter with a with a developmental disability. And was like, that like a thing back then where it was cool to just like disown your disabled kids? Like no, I feel like you know it was a it was a backwards time for a lot of reasons. <laughs> um, I would say that when Catherine Hepburn won her Academy Award for On Golden Pond. I was like, 
really. Mm-hmm. And I feel that a lot. I feel that often about a lot of Catherine Hepburn performances. And I feel like Ingrid Bergman's performance in Autumn Sonata is what Catherine Hepburn in On Golden Pond should have been. Because right. she is that mother and there's this whole relationship and the way that she's handling the situation and family trauma. I will say that Ingrid Bergman gave a fantastic performance. I just didn't like her character at all all so it was very difficult for me to really root for her or to sympathize with her or to really care to be honest with you i think it's fine yeah the movie definitely steers you towards sympathizing with with the daughter yeah and i think she was very good also but yeah she's mainly just known for for swedish for other ingmar bergman movies basically she wasn't as big of a name as as Ingrid Bergman. Well, she had already been nominated. Liv Ullman had been nominated for two Oscars for her lead uh, role at the, oh, up really? until this point. So, it's, oh, okay. so the Academy was quite familiar with her. Um, yeah, I feel like the yeah the the mother was just like, it was just kind of a meteor role. She's just kind of like this very brassy, like elegant, grand dame. Yeah. And whereas the daughter was kind of very meek and very timid and and doesn't have as many sort of you know big meaty monologues. It's yeah, it's just kind well, of like, when they're like tipsy as she calls it and then she just like loses it it's on a her very funny sequence where she just kind of like like talks for five minutes very like succinctly and eloquently and precisely about all the ways that she is disappointed by her mother and then at the end she's like oh you have to forgive me i'm drunk yeah i don't know what i'm saying takes these backsies is this what swedish people being drunk is like yeah oh <laughs> and and doodles um uh oh uh I really, if I'm being completely honest with you, I don't really have much to say about this movie. I I didn't hate it. I wouldn't watch it again. I really felt like the real star was Liv Ullman, and Mm -hmm. I found Igman Birdman's character resentful. Amazing performance, obviously. Yeah, in two languages. She has a lot of English stuff, Swedish yep. stuff. When she would switch to English, I wouldn't notice. Like, and then you're like, you're just like, oh, I'm not reading subtitles right now. Yeah. And <laughs> I think we talked about this the last time we talked about Ingrid Bergman too, where like it's just such a for the academy that's just red meat. Like somebody that yeah. can speak that can act in two languages. It's yeah. like, oh my God. It's very impressive. And then whenever like a British person or an Australian person does an American accent, they don't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're like, oh obviously. But to anything else to this movie, I have nothing else to add if you want to add anything. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was, uh, you know, perfectly watchable. It's, I think, a minor entry in, in Ingmar Bergman's... Uh, Vast collection. Oeuvre. I think the, yeah, the, the sort of the joy of his movies is that, the, is that they're very melodramatic, but also, like, crazy shit happens. Like, they're very, mm-hmm. like, there's a, there's a lot of, like... S- crazy psychological horror in, in his movies and this one was like very much a kind of straight like kitchen table drama um, it was certainly an acting showcase yeah 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 for everyone two-hander yeah it's what Ingmar Bergman Bergman film would you recommend to anybody listening um probably the the one that most people have heard of is the seventh seal okay uh, which that's the one that's like you know the thing of like the guy on the beach playing chess with death that's no, oh, okay. I I don't I've like never heard of a, it. It's an art house movie. It's like a little inaccessible. I think um, so. This Autosonata was like the tail end of his career, but then a few years later, he made Fanny and Alexander, okay. which that was like his big Oscar hit. It won, I think it, it won like four or five Oscars, which at the time was the most Oscars ever won by a foreign language film until like oh. this year, I think, until like Parasite. 
Um, but it's a really, it's, it's accessible. It's a very fun, crazy, like sort of family story, um, about like, you know, this sort of coming of age story set in like turn of the century Sweden. And there's like, you know, crazy fantasy stuff and the production design is gorgeous. Well, as long as Um, there's some Jorgen Fruit and Toodles, I am Plenty of Jorgen Fruit and Toodles. (laughs) Um, yeah, that's, that's a good place to start. Great. Okay. So let's talk about, I am looking very forward to talking about this Oh boy, this was a chore for me. Same time next year, uh, Ellen yes. Burstyn. You didn't oh, like this one? My God. Okay, <laughs> so when she won the Academy Award for Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, uh, the same year she won the Tony for Best Actress for Same Time Next Year. And so she oh, played the, play, the role. Right, yes, right. and so she played on Broadway. And then she played the role um, in this movie. And honestly, I thought that she was the perfect choice for this. I did find her, like, costume changes from, like, Halloween world a little annoying, but whatever. It represented, like, it it suggested, like, time has passed. Yeah, so this is a movie that's set over the course of, like... 30 years, I guess. And it's these people, they have an affair every Alan weekend. Alan Alda is the, is the man. Ooh, yeah, let's jump right into <laughs> Alan Alda. He was the worst choice for this role. I felt like I was watching an episode of MASH. Every single time that he would bring anything to the table, it was so one note. And actually, the director of this movie uh, and the guy that wrote it for Broadway, the original choice was um, Alan Alda, and he couldn't do it for Broadway, so they're like, perfect, we'll get you for the movie. I thought that the cast for him was so bad. Okay. He obviously knows how every line that he said, it sounded like he was telling a joke every single time. And I totally understand that because as a as a comedian, I see what you're doing mm-hmm. and it's super annoying because right now you're supposed to be a character. Ellen Burstyn in this movie, she actually made the character very three-dimensional. She made this movie watchable and she made the character like real is what I'm saying mm-hmm. where Alan Alda it was just the same note over and over and over and whenever he like reveals that his um his son died in like the war or something or his his son had yeah, passed yeah. it was like watching a high school play yeah I hated him in this movie it was a little muggy like I and I I, I have a lot of affection for Alan Alda again just based on MASH I like I would used to like when I was a kid would just fall asleep to MASH episodes and just hear sure. it in his ears so I his his voice is just like butter to me so I have a, <laughs> a I have a lot of affection for him yeah I agree that um, it's it's a tough uh, it's a tough role for sure it's tough when you're translating something from uh, theater to film to know like how to approach the material because uh if you're acting in the play version of this, you know, you have to like be very big and, and uh, bold and stagey. And then uh, maybe Ellen Burstyn didn't do that at all. I thought she played it very well. Yeah. She's Except very when she came in as a hippie and she said, I wrote this down because I like, she was like, hey man, what you saying? And it was like, oh my God, <laughs> like you need to dial That's it crazy. back. <laughs> yeah. At one point when she's like in hippie mode, she's like, want to fuck? Yes. It was very, very. <laughs> <laughs> took me by surprise. But I think that's like almost part of it that that at the beginning of the film when they're both like in their 20s uh, and yeah, they're both married to other people. They both have kids and they, they meet on this um, in this little sort of scenic villa. Cottage by the cottage, sea. Yeah. They have an affair. And they, yeah, and they agree to meet up again at the same place every year for, for one night. Another story about an affair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at the beginning he's kind he kind of has this the status he's a very like sort of put together 
professional and she's uh, a few years younger than him. I think she's like very sort of naive and very swept up in the whole thing. And then as the as their lives progress and you see them get older, he is kind of like emotionally stuck in one place and and you see her like really kind of coming to her own. And really but was it that was it that he was stuck in one place, or was it that it was just a one note performance? Little, I'm sorry, I just little column A, little column B. I, I couldn't, I couldn't, <laughs> I could, I truly believe that this could have been a great movie if it was cast properly. And I really, I just can't. I really feel like he was not right for this role. Sure, he was he had a lot of like really great lines. Like, what was the thing where he's like, "Do you really want to throw away a lifetime of?" couple of weekends together or something like that. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Like he, but that's the thing. He's He knows how to deliver a line in a funny way. It was that he kept doing it over and over. And I was like, bitch, this is a movie. This isn't a sitcom. Mm-hmm. Um, he, yeah, <laughs> the, some sitcom people can uh, transition effortlessly into kind of serious drama. Yeah. I feel like I, Alan Alda has been like great in dramatic stuff uh, before. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, I... Can't imagine why, but uh, I what I loved about the ending was it was like yay they're continuing their affair. <laughs> like, yeah, after what was it? His his wife dies and he's like, okay, now we can get married. <laughs> yeah, it's, I know. And then she's like, no, like I don't want to do that. Um, um, but just specifically, okay, uh, fine. Alan Alda, like, blah, but like Al- Ellen Burstyn in, in this movie, you know, she's a really great comedic performer. Mm. Um, I I. Yeah, she could Perf- do anything. Yeah, she could do anything, and I really loved her in Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, and I love that performance. And so, just by comparison to her previous work, it's like I, I mean, I realize this is like a spoiler for this podcast, but obviously, I don't really care for this movie very much. But it was just sort of like, um, it's 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 like she did she's done better before, and like I just kind of felt like she really did the role well, and she seemed very comfortable doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't really think there was that much there. The only part where I thought was like amazing was when she was like having she was going into labor, and she was like telling him what to do, mm-hmm. and she was like emotionally like up and down. That I thought was like really really interesting. Um, that was a very fun scene because she is like keeping it together and giving yeah. him these, and he is like fully just incapable of, of acting or doing anything. Yeah. Uh, it's a very strong, like, comedic scene. Yes. Very and very well played by both of them. I, re- I really, I really liked her in this movie, and I just think that, like, she was really carrying the team on this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's really not much to this movie. It's just, like, really one set. It almost kind of... It's which is it's tough. When you only have two characters in the movie, it's like, it, yeah, it really does live or die on these two people and if you like them or not. Yeah. And um, I just... Yeah, I just thought that there just wasn't enough there for me. Um, I, there were a lot of really great lines, though. Um, I loved... Um, I was a virgin when I married. I mean, I was pregnant, but I don't count that. That's funny. Little That's things funny. like that. Yeah, like yeah, it, yeah. it had it had nice little comedic moments. Um, but yeah, very well written. Very yeah, the very quippy, very funny. I love the montages to demonstrate that time is passing, and they just show like historical images in black and white. And then mm-hmm. when they like the characters, like because remember she was that hippie, and she's like let's fuck. But then like in the next like montage, she's suddenly like Jackie O, and she's yeah, like she's all conservative more of, like, again. A, a modern like early seventies woman. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's. There are sort of yeah montage like still montages of, of images just to show like you know the the march on Washington and the Vietnam War like taking you through the sixties and the seventies and stuff. 
She carried. Um, she just. All I had. Like I have nothing else to say to this movie. She. She really saved it. Yeah. She carried it, and um, I don't think I will ever watch this again. And Alan Alda, great actor, obviously for comedy. I don't know if this was the right choice for him. Yeah, totally fair. One thing I found uh, especially aggravating is that the the theme song to this movie, the theme song, <laughs> very magical. Just this, yeah, total like super cheeseball 70s like romantic ballad and then uh i think the the carpenters kind of style yeah yeah um and then so there it's kind of structured in like six episodes i think five or six and then there's like this little montage in between and every single like interlude montage that you they go back to the same song (laughs) i know (laughs) it's not a good song the first time and by the end you are just sick of it and apparently they had um, well that was the style like the rescuers the mm -hmm. disney movie the opening it's like that cheesy you got one song and you just milk it for all it's exactly (laughs) apparently paul mccartney had written a song for the for the soundtrack yeah and they rejected it yeah it wasn't and then they went with this other one instead which is like, I don't know. He later used it for another movie in the 2000s. Okay. There you go. And then he like got some kind of a nomination for it. But um, if you're good, we can talk about the next nominee. Yes, let's go for it. Okay, so let's talk about an unmarried woman, Jill Clayburg. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking more about the 70s melodies that are really cheesy. This had a lot of sax. It was very saxy. Yes. Um, and kind of cheesy. If anybody doesn't know who Jill Clayburg is, it's AKA Annie's mom from Bridesmaids. Um, oh. Yeah. Uh, she actually um, is late Jill Clayburg, which is quite sad. She died of, um, I think it was leukemia. She had uh, leukemia for over 20, 21 years, and oh, she wow. passed away in 2010. Um, the story of an unmarried woman is uh kind of like Geraldine Page's story but she wasn't her character wasn't as old but basically her husband just is like oh I met somebody else I'm gonna leave now bye and it's kind of a really fleshed out story of um acceptance and grief and all the stages that you kind of go through and also through the perspective of how a woman in the 70s, well, an upper-class, rich, white woman, how mm-hmm. she would deal with grief and how she would handle the whole, and how she heals and stuff like that. Um, I actually have such a love-hate for this movie because I loved how you saw this complete circle for her. It was a complete arc, and you see from where she started and where she ended up, and there was a complete transformation. I thought that Jill Kleber really acted it very, very well. Um, I also thought that it was a little boring but i think that was just the pacing of the movie and how they were trying to tell the story but i also like loved the way that jill clayberg uh really acted the shit out of this movie one thing i fucking hated about this movie is why are the leading men always so gross all they like love it like uh, it's like they're always gargoyles in 70s movies where they have like unibrows and like long shaggy hair and you're literally just like what and the girls they're like flawless and gorgeous and they probably wax their assholes just in case like it's not fair i hate anyway i just when i watch these old movies i'm like ugh. I'm it's not, not sure if fair. that's a movie thing or just like a general <laughs> life thing that in the past there was an expectation that, yeah, young, beautiful women would just get married to men 20 years older than them who looked like dog shit. Yes. And not take care of themselves. Yes. I, obviously, this persists today. 
but like, yeah, it's so wild that like when she would go on, when she would like kind of dip her toe back into the dating scene and she was going on <laughs> dates with just these like wretched looking buffoons. Gargoyles. Like, like how, who set this up? I know. <laughs> oh, though this, I think this movie was like the precursor to like sex in the city because yeah, like yeah. all the white women get together and they're like, let's talk about orgasm. <laughs> yeah. But this movie takes, it's a very sort of unabashedly feminist perspective on um, yeah. divorce. And it's, yeah, very sort of. For the time. Yeah. yeah taps into that, that 70s uh, vibe of, of sort of, uh, you know, women, kind of entering the workplace and like defining themselves um you know on their own terms and she is so good mm-hmm. can i be honest i adore this movie i thought it was so so good i yeah. thought her character was delightful um like i normally like when i'm watching movies for this podcast i like make little notes on my phone i basically didn't write anything down for this because i was just so yeah. enamored by it yeah like even within the first five minutes when she's just like when she's alone in her apartment and she just like puts on uh, music and she starts like ballet dancing around her apartment and just like pretending she's in like the Bolshoi ballet or whatever and she's like doing little bits. I was like, oh, okay, I love this. This is very funny and very charming, and she's got like quips and she's like, she. It's like it's such a it's such a the character is like even when she's just in the grips of like this earth shattering thing. She like, she keeps it together. She's focused on what she needs. She's mm-hmm. fo- very focused on her daughter. She's a teenage daughter who is like, <laughs> who literally, she looks like she's her older sister, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Not yeah, that, like, just, as in like the mother, I mean, Jill Claybird looks like Jill Claybird looks like she's like her older sister. Yeah. But. She clearly had this daughter with this guy, like you know, super young, very young, but the daughter is like very, very smart and thoughtful. And it's like, you can tell like, Oh, she's a great mother just by but the making way her daughter weird jokes about them having sex yeah that yeah. i was like Ugh. like hey hey dad did you just give it to mom nice like it was just like <laughs> okay this is really inappropriate um yeah i mean it's a it's a really really st- a strong movie but like it yeah it lives or dies on her performance and i i didn't i didn't i don't think i'd seen her in anything other than bridesmaids but uh, uh me too is, yeah yeah performance just hit me like a freight train i was like this is great. very good i agree um i think my f- favorite moment um in the movie was when that disgusting guy just like assaults her in the back of a cab mm-hmm. and she's not having any and of it and she just kicks him out like on the side of the freeway and she's screaming and she literally although and the fucking cab driver's like oh okay like it hadn't occurred to him and i was like you fucking moron but mm-hmm. like uh when she just was like not having any of it and she literally is just like so mad i the way she put her foot down, it was just really satisfying. Yeah, very satisfying for like 70s movies too because I think when you're watching movies of, of that era, there's like a weird... It, it was like weirdly acceptable for like men to force themselves on, on women and then, but it's like it presented in a romantic way. Oh my God, I know. Like, it's, it's so fucked. It's so unsettling in retrospect to be like, oh, this was this, they thought this was fine. And so I thought it was going to be that kind of scene. And then when she's like, no, fuck off, get out of the cab. It's like, yeah, what a, what a joy to, to see that in a movie of this era. Well, the, it, the thing is, is in the 70s, they were really starting to explore these sort of like emotional family dramas. Because up until that point, you know, you have like Kramer versus Kramer. You have mm-hmm. something like this. Where up until that point, it wasn't until about 1972, 73, there was a movie that came out called 
Summer Wishes Winter Dreams with like Sylvia Sidney or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, up until that point, they, there weren't really a lot of movies like that where they were really going in because they were like coming out of the 50s and the 60s and like all of the baby boomers were like, my parents fucking traumatized me. And they're like, let's talk about it. Yeah, yeah. And so these these kind of stories were kind of very popular at that time, which were which are quite normal to us now, but at the time something like this would be like very sort of groundbreaking and, and unique. This movie was specifically written for Jill by the director Paul Mazursky. Mazursky. Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, but I just sort of love like the slow, organic journey of her situation. It just seemed very realistic. She seemed like a real person. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't a pat ending. It, like she is dating this, this guy, this sort of uh, very charming, suave British artist at the, the gallery that she works at. And you're like, oh, I think this is going to work out. I think she's going to find happiness. Yeah. And then it kind of doesn't work out. She's like, no, I need to, to go on my own path. I need to do my own thing. Which Sisters is like, are doing it for themselves. It's so much more interesting than if she had just, you know, dated this the first guy that came along. It's like, yeah, no, she has to, she's going to go back to school. She's going to do her own thing. I, I think so. It was it was a full journey for um, her character. I understood where her character was coming from um, the entire time. Uh, I thought that her performance was very well done. Sometimes it was subtle. Sometimes it wasn't when, like, when she's screaming in the back of the cab. Um, and I just really enjoyed watching her journey. The only thing that I really didn't like about this movie, uh, not just the fact that all of the like leading men were discussing, but um, why was dog shit used as like a device oh when they're jogging and she what was it that she's he like, blames it on her at the beginning and then at the end the like art guy actually the art guy was kind of cute the art guy steps in dog shit but then like he doesn't care and it's to demonstrate like there are two different ways of handling a situation and how and then you're like could we have used anything other than dog shit? I thought it was funny. For, I didn't, I was like, <laughs> why? I, I thought that was, I thought that was so weird. I thought that was really weird. Um, but I really loved this performance and um, I didn't love the pacing of the story, but uh, really fantastic performance. Yeah, great, great screenplay, great direction. Uh, I believe this got a, a Best Picture nomination also this same year. By the way, can I rattle off some stats from this yes, Oscar ceremony? Yes, please do. So yeah, two of these five films that we're talking about got Best Picture nominations, Unmarried Woman and uh, Coming Home is the other one. Uh, all of them got screenplay nominations, all five of these. Oh, wow. Uh, which is, I think, pretty rare. Um yeah, two uh, and two of them ended with someone uh, walking into the sea, <laughs> which we'll get to in a second. Um, but yeah, the, sorry, this was the uh, oh right because yeah 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 what's his face Bruce Dern yeah 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 right which we'll talk about in a second. Okay. <laughs> Just some little statistics for you. Um. Okay, so I will. Okay, well, then let's just talk about the winner then. So let's talk about Jane Fonda and Coming Home. This is Jane Fonda's second Academy Award. Um, and she had completely rebranded herself and her career. She was more into the makeup, not so much into like the clute haircut look that she had. Mm-hmm. Um, she had like the big, she looked like a big beauty queen basically. And she was so relatable, which helped add to her winning this. Um, this movie is very on brand for her being like a, 
about Vietnam, and also she's a very she was a very political person. I love first of all, I love Jane Fonda. Like, she's great. I, I just I love 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 Jane Fonda, and um, and she was like she kind of was involved in the conception of this movie. This was like a passion project for her, which makes she sense. She was very close friends with um, Ron Kovic, mm-hmm. who was the guy that um, Tom Cruise played in uh, Born on the Fourth of July. I've never seen a, that movie. I I just watched it just on a fluke. I watched it a couple months ago. Uh, it's very good. It's um, Probably like the best Tom Cruise performance in anything, um, but yeah, very similar. He theme. was nominated for an Oscar for that, wasn't he? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's also about uh, a guy coming delusioned by disillusioned by Vietnam and sort of speaking out and becoming a protester. Um, but yeah, she was friends with this guy in real life, and uh, John Voight's character in Coming Home is based on Ron Kovic. I, I listen. We said this before, but truly, I love John Voight in this movie, and I hate John Voight. Mm-hmm. Um, Vic, the character Vic, I think her name was Vic. Uh, ooh, maybe it wasn't, but she, um, oh, Vi, the Vi, friend, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was nominated for a supporting role, but actually, uh, Jane Fonda wanted Meryl Streep for that role. Oh, interesting. She did get nominated for the Deer Hunter that year, so I mean, she's fine. It's a big like, year for uh, Vietnam movies. Also. Yeah, yeah. The Deer yeah. Hunter uh, won Best Picture this year. Oh my gosh, I completely forgot to do that. I always do this off the top. So, um, best director went to Michael, and I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Michael Cimino Cimino for uh, for The Deer Hunter. Mm -hmm. Best picture went to The Deer Hunter. Best actor went to John Voight. Best supporting actor went to Christopher Walken. I love Christopher Walken. And best supporting actress went to Maggie Smith for California Suite. Thank Mm -hmm. you for reminding me (laughs) to do that. I also read that uh, this year was the uh, Warren Beatty got a bunch of nominations this year for Heaven Can Wait. Yes. Uh, He was the first person to be nominated four times for the same film. Because he wrote, directed, produced, and starred in Heaven Can Wait. I think the same thing happened for Bradley Cooper for A Star Is Born. It was like writing, directing. Yeah, and I think he maybe didn't get nominated for directing or something like that, but he got another one for like the song. I can't remember. Or Best Picture or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He got nominated like a bunch. Did you know that he produced Joker? I did know that. Yeah, he produces a lot of stuff. It's crazy. Um, yeah, there was a thing. So uh, Orson Welles had done a similar thing with Citizen Kane that he like wrote, produced, directed, starred. But uh, at the time, they the nomination for Best Picture went to the studio and not the producers, which is what it is now. Oh. So he technically he himself did not get four nominations. I'm not crazy about Warren Beatty, but. Um... Okay, so the yes, opening we're talking about so, <laughs> so the opening scene from Coming Home was an actual conversation with real war vets, mm-hmm. and in the scene, John Voight he doesn't say anything because even in character he was like, "Yeah, I don't think I should be contributing to this weird. conversation." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good call on his part. <laughs> um, this was uh, no, we had mentioned that before. This is one of the first movies where they had shown an able-bodied person sort of having a love affair relationship with somebody that was. Uh, disabled in some capacity mm-hmm. um Meryl Streep was considered for the role of V she couldn't do it because she was doing the deer hunter uh she I had a good run in the in the late 70s too with like yeah deer hunter and Kramer versus Kramer and then she was cast for Sophie's Choice and the French Lieutenant's Woman but I think that was all in the 80s but she was cast in the 70s mm-hmm. but um this, because you were saying for uh, an unmarried woman, you didn't really write down much because you were just so into it. I didn't really write down much for this movie because I was so, I really liked this movie. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Um, I would say that 
Jane Fonda's character, you really are quite sympathetic for, which is kind of weird because she's basically this like rich, privileged white woman who is just deciding to like, it's kind of a bit of a, mm, not white savior complex because it doesn't really deal with race exactly, but it, although there was like a weird racist ventriloquist doll at one point, that that was weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there was a lot of uh, casual racism in the, the Vietnam era that was just... yeah kind of culturally acceptable because yeah it's it's a very uh weird deeply weird era in american history no for sure i mean i really love jane fonda in this in this movie i really liked this movie i think that all of the performances together made the movie great i wouldn't really single out one person per se um for this film jane fonda was great but like so was bruce dern and um Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I really, I I just really liked this movie. I really liked her in this movie. Yeah, it's a really strong, very, like, astute character drama about uh, trauma, but, like, I feel like it deals with uh, a lot of the same themes as The Deer Hunter, um, but this time it's from, you know, the perspective, the, a woman's perspective, or perspective of, of a military wife who is sort of, uh, feels very helpless about the war and her husband, Bruce Dern, her husband is at war and she's kind of like looking after these, uh, these vets uh, and sort of grappling with her own feelings about the war. And yeah, obviously it was super personal uh, for Jane Fonda. As you mentioned, she's very... Political. Very political, very active. And to this day, I don't know if you read this uh, profile of her in the New York Times recently where she just talks about her activism. It's one of the best profiles it's so well she did work with the black panthers yeah she hung out with the black panthers a bunch even like this past year she camped out on the white house lawn for like months to protest climate change uh she was arrested this five year times. yeah she's 82 years old wow she's still alive and kicking uh yeah nixon hated her because of this whole <laughs> hanoi jane thing she's like she she was uh, she was hot, but she has bad ideas. Oh, God. Was like the the quote. I'll be like, you're not. You're disgusting, and you have bad ideas. Fuck off, Nixon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wasn't he regarded, or isn't he regarded? Well, maybe not anymore. But isn't he regarded as like the worst president in U.S. history? Nixon. Uh, it's tough. It's he's up there certainly on on a corruption level. Uh, yeah, there, he did a lot of like economically. He kind of like eased the relations with China. Which was like, I think a lot of people sort of think that was uh, the right call, but then there was the, the Watergate he ramped up. Yeah, Watergate certainly the corruption stuff. Yeah, the Viet- he pulled out of Vietnam uh, during his presidency. Uh, yeah, he's a guy that is is generally regarded as pretty bad, but yeah. in light of the current gentleman, I think is maybe being like <laughs> reappraised a little bit. Yeah. Um... I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, just about Jane Fonda in this movie, if I'm being honest, I look back on the movie fondly. I don't really look back on any particular moment or scene with Mm -hmm. her and think like, wow, like that was the scene for her. That was her Oscar moment. I just, um, I really enjoyed her character's, her her story. I I just like watching the character and I think that she acted exactly how she was supposed to. I did have maybe trouble sort of sympathizing with her um, a little bit because you almost kind of feel like Bruce Dern is like the 
enemy a little bit, but like he didn't really do anything. Like he's just doing his job. And right. He just comes back and finds out that she's been having an affair with yeah. John Voight. And, and we're like, and, and we've been spending so much time with Jane Fonda and John Voight at this point that we're like, they're perfect for each other. Yeah. Fuck you, Bruce Stern. Exactly. Like, what, my, my wife. And then he well, he returns to the sea. Yes. And then as we mentioned before, uh, he he. Yeah, runs into the sea. So, and apparently that was the only way to kill yourself in at this time. It's it was on vogue. It, it was very. It was that season's must have. Uh, it was that's what Autumn Sonata is. <laughs> it was that Autumn Sonata. Um, but to be honest with you, um, I feel like I feel kind of like stupid. But like I don't really have anything else to say about this movie or this performance. Yeah. I just kind of liked it. That's kind I of thought it was strong. Yeah, it's uh, it was. I think The Deer Hunter was probably the the better of the two Vietnam movies that came out that year. I think it deserved to win Best Picture. It's interesting because I feel like this marked... uh, And Jane Fonda was like very ahead of the curve on on, on protesting the war, but it's sort of... Yeah, like uh, America pulled out in like 73, I think. So this was like five years later that people are, are kind of fully starting to grapple with yeah the the aftershocks of the war and how devastating it was. And um, I think, that, yeah, this is the first year that you really kind of see movies grappling with, with the PTSD. And that, like, I, like, yeah, a few years later, I think you have uh, Apocalypse Now and like Platoon. Um, I've never seen Platoon. Full Metal Jacket. They're pretty good. Yeah, they're really, I, I feel like those movies are really like, when, when, when you and I think about Vietnam, it's like that's the imagery we have in our head. Right. Is like formed by the sort of pop culture of this era of like the late 70s and the, and mm-hmm. the early 80s. Um, well, John Voight's little monologue at the end the, to the high school students about why like going into war it mm-hmm. was it, and why it was pointless and how it changed him and stuff like that. That was just like that one kind of gave me chills. You yeah. know what I mean? That was, and you and, wouldn't have seen it if the movie had come out like five years earlier. It, that wouldn't have been in there. That's exactly. So it was like that's a different how conversation. The, the conversation changed. Um, I find it very interesting that in our lifetime we haven't seen a similar run of movies about the Iraq War. Yeah, right. A war. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah <laughs> in yeah. quotations for sure. I feel like obviously there are a lot of differences, but like the. The vibe is the same in that, you know, it was sort of, we've realized in retrospect how it was kind of ginned up and sort of by, by this handful of, of like neocons and it was kind of a mistake and we never should have been there and it was devastating. Uh, and yeah, I feel like we haven't had that kind of pop cultural conversation in our lifetime because there haven't been these movies about it to like, because that's how, that's how these, these, these stories kind of permeate into people's minds. Well, wasn't that what Jarhead was about? Oh, I haven't seen Jarhead. It's not great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, There's like a couple scenes that, and Jake Gyllenhaal, that's when he was like a big movie star. Um, I mean, I guess he still kind of is, but like Nightcrawler, I did not care for. Um, Oh, I love Nightcrawler. I didn't, I didn't get it. Um, Okay, well, if there's anything else that you would like to add about this movie. Yeah, I just wrote down a few things from this profile of of Jane Fonda that I mentioned, because it's so so good. I'd love to hear it. Uh, They just do like a kind of a a brief Q&A at the end. Apparently her greatest regret is not having sex with Marvin Gaye. (laughs) Um, The question the interviewer asked her, like, uh, I heard your greatest regret was not having sex with Che Guevara. Is that true? She's like, no, no, it's Marvin Gaye. (laughs) (laughs) It was so sexy. Uh, Apparently 
apparently Marlon Brando was very disappointing in bed. Oh, she's like really? a great actor, disappointing in the sack. <laughs> I love to hear that. Um, and she uh, bought a horse named Evita from Mike Nichols. Oh wow! Just uh, just a very fun, incredible <laughs> life that this woman has led. I love her. Uh, okay, so then uh, let's go ahead and say who we thought should have won. So uh, if you will do the honors first. Mm-hmm. I think that Best Actress should have gone to. Jill Clayburgh from *In Married Woman*. I okay. really love this movie. I mm-hmm. thought out of all these performances, her character was just the most fleshed out, the most dynamic. She was very funny. Uh, she just had great, like, had a a real sense of humor about this kind of horrible situation that she was in. Uh, and you could like you see the pain that she's going through, but she doesn't let it ruin her life. She's like very sort of active and, and like focused on whatever she's doing and like sometimes she's unlikable like when she kind of reams out her daughter but then like immediately regrets it and she's like no you're right I, I fucked up like she's very self-aware and there's so many layers and so much depth to this character mm-hmm. and she just embodies all of it so well and yeah I thought it was really really great I agree with absolutely all of that so I will go ahead um, so I think that the Oscar should have gone to Geraldine Page for Interiors. So basically for me, it was between Jill Clayburgh uh, or Geraldine Page because both I thought were um, so great. Mm-hmm. I would say that Jill Clayburgh's performance, I think, required a little bit more from her. And I have a lot more respect for that because... You really do see her full journey. Yeah, more screen time. More screen time. But I really feel like that is also because of the writing. Not about her performance, but I just mean like um, like her full circle. Where with Geraldine Page in Interiors, I can't... It's just because of the one scene where he tells her that he's leaving her. And in front of like her family, the way that she reacts is so crazy real yeah and i literally was like how can you do that like you're a psychopath because like you (laughs) might be you must be able to just like evoke like human emotion and like do that in front of people and like you could manipulate everyone around you like it is scary how good it was and at the time like this type of acting was quite modern and Geraldine Page like uh, at that point was overdue for at least one Oscar and um, seriously just because of that one scene but I just really love that she played such a sad sacky kind of person and she was weak and vulnerable and at the end she took her own life because that is a very real narrative for a lot of people which is so sad Mm -hmm. and um, I just love that she kind of gave truth to those kind of narratives and um, like the way that she killed herself, I thought was just ridiculous. But like at the same time, like I, th- I guess that was a choice. But no, seriously, I I was just so um, uh, captivated is the word by mm-hmm. 
her in this movie. I couldn't take my eyes off of her in this movie. So yeah, for me, it was Geraldine Page. But I also understand Jill Clayburgh because I would have given it to her too. But just as a personal choice, Geraldine Page for sure. Totally. And she had the thing going also where it's like, come on, give give this woman an Oscar. She's so good. 100%. Like very overdue. Did she uh, ever, afterwards, did she win any? She won in 1985 or six over Whoopi Goldberg because Whoopi Goldberg was supposed to win that win for the color purple. Uh, okay. But Geraldine Page won for, I need to look this up. This will be good the for the podcast. Trip to Bountiful. The Trip to Bountiful. Uh, yes, okay. Which I have not seen. No, me neither. But that was her eighth nomination and then she won, which mm-hmm. is like insane to me. But um, anyway, that was my schwa. Uh, so, uh, thank you again for joining me on this podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Uh, everybody, you can check out Dan on Instagram <laughs> at ddilabo. Uh, and are you on Twitter? Yes. And yeah, he's yeah. also on Twitter? Yes. Uh, uh, Dan Dillabo. And, uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>